This week in our Outflow series, we're talking about loving our neighbor. In order to love God, we have to know who God is. Sometimes we know, as we talked about our response to our family, too much about our family, and that makes it difficult. And instead, we need to know more about God and his love for us so that we can properly respond to our family. With our neighbors, oftentimes it's not that we don't know how to love someone. It's just that we don't know our neighbors. So the focus this week, it's a two-part series on loving our neighbor and responding to our neighbor, is do you really know your neighbor or how can you know your neighbor? This sermon was originally recorded at Castle Rock Middle School, December 4th, 2011. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Really excited we continue our, um, and also sorry about the screen, I got two apologies. One is the screen, we were going to line it up, but it wasn't actually working until about 20 minutes ago, so now that it's working, we we just left it skinny. And the other is, um, I didn't get in a fight. If you're wondering if you can see the black guy, I played basketball in a person drove to the lane. I'm not going to use an excuse like I fell down the stairs or something like that, but I, I was playing basketball and someone caught me with an elbow. So I sent him a text with a picture and said, my wife wants to know who hit me. And he writes, I'm sorry about that. But then he sends a second text that said, but I didn't swing it. So he was trying to say like somehow, like my, I was playing defense with my face somehow. So I didn't reply yet. No, no, we're, we're talking about loving our neighbor, and we'll talk about that. So um, uh, really excited. We're working in our series called Outflow, so we're working a couple things. If you picture it like concentric circles, and I looked this up, I think I'm using this correctly. Concentric circles are like a dartboard, and we, if people nod, so that was good. I had to look it up myself to make sure. It, the term seemed right when I said it. So it, if you look at God's love for you in the middle, so God loves you, he fills you up, and then your first response is it's always going to start from the center and work its way out. As a Christian, this is how it makes sense. And if you try and skip some of these rings, I'll explain that in a second, it doesn't make sense. So we love God, our first response is to God. So as God loves us and fills us up, it's natural that we respond to God. And then it's natural that you respond to your family, and then your friends or your neighbors, and then the world. If you try and skip some circles, I think that doesn't quite line up in the Christian world. For example... Can I say, well, I really love God, and I love my neighbors, I just hate my family? Does that make sense? How would you feel if one of your best friends, you'd hang out, and they're like, oh, I just totally hate my family, but I really like you? In the back of your mind, would you think, like, this doesn't seem right, does it? So what we're going to be talking about uh, as outflow, and that's why we've kind of gone in this order. God gives us the gifts. God gives us the abilities. God has filled us up, and this is going to work from to our family, which we talked about last week and also to our friends and neighbors. Now, there's a strange thing that happens, though. One of the concepts that we talked about is in order to love and worship God, you have to know God, right? In order to properly worship who our God is, you have to know Jesus. Otherwise, there is no response. It doesn't make sense. If you don't understand the grace that God has given you, there's no way you can respond to God properly. Just like if I have no idea who my wife is, I can't love my wife like a wife. Does that make sense? The ironic thing is... The more, uh, the good thing as far as God goes is the more we know about God, the more we're overwhelmed by how good he is. It's not like you dive in and you're like, boy, I'm afraid to go a little bit deeper here. And then you find more about God and more and more, and God becomes more and more wonderful, more and more complete. Do you say that happens with your relatives? So this is where it's a little bit, I, some are nodding yes, that's amazing, because I find the more I know about my relatives, the more you're kind of disappointed in people. Because then, on the surface, it's pretty easy to show a pretty good front. 
But then once you dig a little bit deeper, there's disappointment and pain. And when and stuff is brought up for the umpteenth time, or it's three days after your vacation, we probably that survey, we said that small group that said that 54% of people would rather bring a pet to a desert island as a companion than a family member. 54%. And I, I figured, I, I, I surmised that small group, this must have been taken like the Sunday after Thanksgiving dinner. That's my theory on it. That this is the only way this could hold true. So what happens, though, is the more you spend time with your family, the more there's disappointment and pain and anger and you need forgiveness. So our point was not, you have to get to know your family more. Last week, as we talk about loving our family, the point wasn't you have to learn your family because you know your family. The point is you have to know God so that you know how to respond when you're disappointed with your family. Here's the strange thing as we're going to kind of wrestle with this. With our neighbors, it kind of goes back to the same thing with God. In order to love your neighbor, can you love a neighbor you don't know? Not, not very easily. If you don't know someone, it's really hard to love that person. So, but it shouldn't be hard to love because God has given us the example of love, hasn't he? God has poured out his mercy. God has poured out his grace. God has shown us all these things. And there's actually a difference between mercy and grace. People say, well, my God is a merciful God. That's true. But mercy is like if you're driving down the highway and you speed. No, just kidding. All right, you're driving down the highway, you're going like 85, and then the police officer pulls up next to you and he or she looks at you and waves and keeps going. That's mercy, right? Because you deserve a ticket, they should pull you over at that point. Some people will say, well, no, that's grace. That's not actually grace. Grace is when you get something of value for free. And not that it's free, it's of value, someone else pays for it. So if that same person pulled you over because you're speeding, you're going like 90, writes you a ticket, and then says, tell you what, I'm going to pay it. Because that's going to happen soon, right? If that happened, now we're talking grace. So when you have a full understanding of God, he's not just a merciful God that should bring down the hammer but doesn't. God says, uh, someone explained it this way, God's riches at Christ's expense, grace. God has given us something of great value because of his son. So because of that, he's, he's, we were shackled, we were trapped, we were imprisoned by sin and death and the devil, and God frees us from all of that. So now we have this freedom, and this is the section that we're talking about that comes up with this commandment. Um, this is the Apostle Paul explaining this to the Galatian people. He says, You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. His point, I think, is pretty simple. Imagine that... Um, you put up the money for, like, your little brother or your uncle or something like that. Little brother or uncle gets in a car accident or is, has a fine of some sort. You pay the fine or you even play the, do the prison time so that they can go free. How would you feel, then, if they went and did the same thing right, right away? That wouldn't make sense, would it? If you said, I'm going to pay the fine to get you out of jail or do whatever so you can pay your bail so you can go, and then they go immediately and do the exact same thing, this would be pretty frustrating. This is exactly what he's saying. He says, does this make any sense? That Christ has given us freedom, but are you going to go use this freedom to go indulge your sinful nature? No, it doesn't make any sense. Instead, or rather, um, you, my brothers, were called to be free. Do not use your freedom to indulge this sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law can be summed up in a single command, love your neighbor as yourself. Is this a new command that Jesus gives? first time that anyone's ever heard of it. It's like groundbreaking as Jesus talks to his disciples and says, love your neighbor as yourself. No, 
this is actually one of the most common things. If you look around world religions, this is one of the more common commands that you would ever find. Almost has some inkling of this command. I mean, some, most of the time it's in the negative, though. Like, don't do to others what you don't want to, done to yourself. So, like, don't elbow someone in the lane if you don't want to be elbowed in the lane. So that's kind of like one of the, the positive way would be um, send a friendly text because you would want a friendly text after elbowing someone in the eye. So that's just, I mean, maybe that's a little too autobiographical. But. So really what we're talking, this is not a new thing. Remember, Jesus is on Monday, Thursday, does give a new command. He says, a new command I give you, love one another. Jesus actually squishes the law down even more. So here it's love your neighbor as yourself and love God with all your heart. He said the whole law can be summarized in one word, love. So Jesus, like, I don't know if you call it the platinum rule or something, he squeezed it all the way down to love. But when does this come up? Who's your neighbor, I think, is really the key question here. Comes up when uh, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan, have you been familiar with the parable of the Good Samaritan? A teacher of the law comes to Jesus. I'll just summarize it. It's in Luke 10, and you should read it later on. So a teacher of the law comes to Jesus and says, hey, what do I have to do to be saved? Like, he's ready. He, he's got, like, the notepad ready. He's got, like, a moleskin notepad. This is how serious this guy is. He's ready. So he's ready to go. He says, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus says, well, how do you read the law? And this guy's pretty smart. He actually takes it from a section from Leviticus, and he takes it from a section in um, Deuteronomy. And he says, well, I see it this way. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, you nailed it. You answered correctly. Go do that, and you're going to live. So you can imagine, like, this pause, and the guy, like, walking away and going, um, but who's my neighbor? Why does he want to know who his neighbor is? Because most of us don't want to love everybody. We're hoping that this list gets, like, smaller and smaller and smaller, right? So Jesus, instead of answering the guy's question, tells him a parable. He goes, let me tell you a story. There's a man who's on his way to uh, Jerusalem from Jericho. It's about 10 miles. And the street was known as, this road was known as a dulem, which means like the pass of blood. So I don't know, do we have one of those in Castle Rock? I was kind of, I checked the directory, I couldn't find one. I find it unlikely when we have things like Meadows Parkway, Breezy Lane. Uh, it's, I don't picture any place like that that the kid, neighborhood kids are like, yeah, that's the pass of blood. Breezy Lane, pretty intense. Just go past the $400,000 house and then watch out right there. It's dangerous. But uh, I don't think we have any place like that. But this particular place, because of travelers and the 10 miles, it was fairly common. Um, the robbers would hang out, and you probably heard this already, and they would jump upon someone who is, you know, you travel in packs. That makes some sense. Apparently, this guy wasn't. It's a parable. So the two, and you know how it goes. The two preacher guy kind of guys, the Levite goes by. He says, I'm not, not interested. He figures in his mind, I, what's the least I can do? and decides, well, um, you know, it's probably dangerous and whatever, and drives around the other side. The priest goes by, who's also, he works for the church, and he decides, I'm not going to do this. And then the person who stops is the Samaritan, and you know how it goes. He, he bandages him up, he puts him on his own ride, he takes him to the inn, he pays for it, and says, you know, if there's any other expenses, anything else, I'll cover it. So Jesus now talks to the man and said, so which of these three... Uh, teacher of the law, do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Did Jesus really answer the question with that story? Like, who is your neighbor? Because this guy really wants it to get smaller, doesn't he? He's like, just like we would pray. Uh, I'll give you an example. You go to the doctor and he says, listen, your heart is terrible. You have to stop eating particular foods. And then you say a prayer, right? He says, there's four foods you can't eat. And you're just like, dear Lord, let it be Neapolitan Brock's candy, 
and chicken gizzards, circus peanuts, and black olives. But do, do they ever say that? I mean, wouldn't that be great? You'd be like high-fiving the doctor. You're like, I'm going to start that diet right now, right now. I'm totally into it. Because you want it to narrow down, right? You want it, if you're going to give up some food, you want it to be like the least painful, troublesome thing. Like if the doctor said, you've got to get some exercise. And you're like, what do you mean? Like, you mean like get up? I mean, wouldn't that be great if the doctor said, like, this is all I'm really asking for? That's what this guy's asking for. He's like, dear Lord, um, who is my neighbor? I want it to be like uh, my spouse, my favorite college professor, and my kids when they're sleeping. That's what I'm really hoping for, right? And, but does he narrow it down? No. Instead of saying, like, who's the neighbor and narrow it down, Jesus basically says, who do you think the neighbor is? He's like, well, it's probably anyone who's in need. And who's the real neighbor here? It's not, what's the least amount I can do for my neighbor? What's the most I can do for my neighbor? So in the midst of this context, we, we start looking at what it means to be a neighbor. But it's kind of hard because here's the rub, isn't it? Not everyone is real lovable. Just like not all food is good. Not everyone's real lovable. So the question becomes like, if I can't eliminate these people, how do I show love to my neighbor? Who, what does this mean? There's a quote that says, don't worry about loving like the whole world because as a whole, I've seen that quote before, we as a whole like loving humanity, but when it comes down to individuals, it gets difficult, doesn't it? Because now you've moved from a theory into something that's reality. So in theory, there's a lot of things we like to do, right? In theory, who doesn't like to get up? In theory, you're going to get up tomorrow. In theory, you're going to start a diet. In theory, you're going to start working out. In theory, you're going to do the other 88 days of P90X, right? In theory, it's going to get started. In theory, we're going to start to save for retirement. In theory, you're going to write a will, right? All these things in theory sound fantastic, and it does sound fantastic. God says, love your neighbor. You're like, yes. But what happens when that neighbor is in front of you, and it's someone that's not all that likable? This is the real struggle. And I wonder, can you love who you don't know? Really? Can you love a neighbor you don't know? And as you struggle with this, who, who really is my neighbor? Think of it this way. God has put you in a particular place at a particular time and have particular people that are in your life. And if you're trying to figure out who your neighbor is, it's pretty easy to say, I love the people in Africa and adopt a kid. I think that's pretty easy because there's no contact. It's pretty easy. Send my money. That's pretty easy. It's pretty easy to even um, be nice at work. It's easy to be nice to people at stores. Not that easy to be nice to people while you're driving. Um, but I mean, there's certain things where it's really easy, right? But what happens when this person's actually in your life? When you get to know them like you know your relatives? Then you have to step back, I think, and say... I'm going to love the person who's in front of me. The challenge is, it's pretty hard to concentrate on one thing, isn't it? I think. They say women can multitask. I was reading an article like that. I can't remember the conclusion. I was chewing gum at the same time. So it's, it's something like that. But I think it's the same thing with, about loving people. You, you kind of do this broad shot thing. And have you ever had your kids right in front of you and you're worried about, worrying about someone else who's not even there? Have you ever been like trying to concentrate on something like, um, and I use the example of vacation, while you're on your vacation, you're thinking about your next vacation? 
instead of actually saying, wait a second, I'm on vacation right now. I have time with my kids now. I have time with my spouse now. I have time with my friends at church now. Instead of being distracted by other things you've got to go do, why not say, I'm going to enjoy and be a neighbor to the people who are right in front of me. To me, that makes some sense, and it made sense to Jesus. So one of the things that, um, here's the thing that we're going to work through, and I, I think I've shown you this before. It's in your bulletin. Because under the theory, you can't love someone you don't know. So in the middle is you. So hopefully you've worked this out. Maybe you've got a pen. I don't think we did pens today. Um, it, was, it was a rough day as far as setting stuff up. But um, in the middle is you. That's your house. So geographically, um, your neighbor obviously is everybody, but geographically, where you live, you're in the middle. And the other ones are the other eight homes that are the geographically or houses or apartments, wherever you live, that are closest to you. My question is, do you know the names of those eight people around you? So if you think about, like, who lives across the street, do you know the names of those people? And that's good. So you know some names. Do you know the names of the people next to you? Good. So, and now you start moving around to the people closest. And this is good. So you're actually a decent neighbor. That means you have moved from probably the person who does, like, the bat cave and hits the garage door opener, shoots inside, shoots the garage door open behind them, and then uh, goes inside their business. They got, we got six-foot fences, and that works for most people. I'm six foot three, so I can just see over the edge and still see my neighbors. That's always awkward, you know, to actually talk to your neighbor. So now the second thing we're looking for is, do you know a fact about your neighbor? And this isn't something you picked up by looking, and they've got a truck that says, like, Bob's Electrics in it, and you're like, well, he works for Bob's Electrics. I mean, this is, you know a fact about your neighbor. So you know maybe, like, if they have kids, you know where they work, you know, like where they went on vacation, something like that. So think about these nine people. You don't have to do it now. But just put this list out and say, how am I actually doing with the names of this family and the names of the kids? Do I know a fact about these people? The third one, and this is where you're actually talking about being a neighbor to someone. You can know the first two and not be much of a neighbor. Just do one of these. Ready? Hey, while you're snowblowing. Actually, I do this while they snowblow, I notice. My neighbor is actually, my neighbor has actually got one of these... Um, uh, what are those called? The gators? Like six-wheel like thing with a push thing to push snow away. We get snow like, what, five times a year? And he's got a gator. He was so bored that he was going up and down the street, moving the, the snow in the street. And I hope it was, I think it's my neighbor from like three houses down. So now I know a fact about them. He buys things he doesn't need. So that's under the fact, the fact section. He was seriously shoveling the snow in the street, which is probably going to be gone in two days. But anyway. The third one, though, is the most important. Have you had enough conversations with that person that you know a hope or a hurt about them? Do you know something they're hoping for, which could be a job, it could be finishing school, it could be a vacation they want to do, it could be having children, it could be having grandchildren. Do you know something about them that actually has some substance? And the third one, or the fourth one, is probably going to take the most time, but not all the time. Sometimes if you just have a dialogue with someone, they just put this out there and you're amazed at how fast the relationship grows. You don't have to do this. And I know what you're thinking. Like, why would we do this? Are we doing this to try and get more people here? No. I mean, that would be great to have more people hearing God's pure word. That'd be fantastic. Are we doing this so that more people become Christian? That also would be great. But that's not the primary goal. Normally in our relationships in life, we like the people we like because of who they are because we like something about them. 
I'm saying switch this around, and I think we should do this not because it's a program from church, not because we're just trying to grow a church, but because of who you are, who God has made you to be. God has removed sin from you. He, you know peace. You know joy. You know what God has done for you. You know what it means when they sing, what child is this? That's who God has made you. And I think it makes some sense if God only summarizes. God, Jesus is willing to say, you summarize the law pretty well in two statements. Love God, love people. We say it a little bit different here, don't we? Follow Jesus, live loved. And part of that means going out to know your neighbor so that you can love your neighbor. Amen. As a follow-up, next week, this is a two-part sermon. We never talked about what it means to love your neighbor and how that actually is going to come through. Since the whole half of the law is summarized, the seven commandments are summarized in love your neighbor as yourself. It's going to be, I think, a challenge, but we're going to hopefully talk about um, how does society view loving your neighbor and how do we see loving your neighbor, kind of what does that look like, and I'm going to try and um, tie that all together. So I'm excited about working on that, but I think it's going to be a big challenge as we work together.